Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. I am the author of Making Contact, which is an overview of the whole UFO situation from the hardware to the software of consciousness. Now, at the heart of this issue of UFOs and whether they exist or not, whether they're real, is the government coming forward with what's been called disclosure. And the person at the center of this disclosure movement is Louise Elizondo. The New York Times reported that Louise Elizondo led the Pentagon's efforts to investigate UFOs until October 2017, when he resigned in protest over what he characterized as excessive secrecy and internal opposition to the program he was in charge of. Elizondo himself says, despite overwhelming evidence of both the classified and unclassified levels, certain individuals in the department, that's the Defense Department, remain staunchly opposed to further research on what could be a tactical threat to our pilots, sailors, and soldiers, and perhaps even an existential threat to our national security. In Elizondo's resignation letter to Defense Secretary Jim Manning to the ATIP program, he asks, why aren't we spending more time and effort on this issue? Elizondo has said a lot more since he left the Defense Department, such as maybe what we thought were monsters are really our neighbors. This is my first interview with Elizondo, and he talks about some of the critical issues that he can mention due to his security oath, and he hints at what he cannot mention. But this is the guy to follow. I'm very happy to be talking to him. Welcome to the program. Um, it's my uh, sincere honor and pleasure. Thank you for having me. Do you know about some of the work I've been doing? Have you been familiar with that at all? You know, tangentially, yes. <laughs> uh, but please forgive me. I, unfortunately, my operational tempo is, uh, is absolutely absurd these no. days. But yes, I am, I am aware of your work. I just want to get right to the some of the questions I've had for you because you are the guy in front of this movement and you've skirted around saying, I would say the A word, you've said they're not Russians, they're not Chinese, they're not ours, it looks like. And you've said, I think you've said they're not from any country on this earth, but you have not used that word everyone's waiting for. Is there a time when you might suggest that these things might be off-world vehicles? Well, look, the, the problem is with the definition. My, my concern is that we, I think, um, I think we as a society have gotten a little bit lazy. And I think when we use terms like alien or extraterrestrial, um, the problem with doing so is that it, it narrows the scope of the inquiry. And what do I mean by that? Well, as I've said before, could they think be from outer space? Yes, absolutely. But I've also said before, these could be from inner space and frankly, the space in between. Uh, the more we learn about quantum physics, the more we realize that the universe is far more complex than, than we ever thought. And to put that you know, case in point, um, a, lot of, a lot of psychologists right now believe uh, we are what we call cardiosocial animals. Mm -hmm. And that is because the first nine months of our, our, our life, we spend in our mother's womb. And we are inundated by the heartbeat of our mother, which is a, it's a basically a binary on, off, on, off. And as a result of that, we tend to look at life and, and everything in it in, in extremes. So if I were to ask you today, sir, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. Well, I'm feeling bad. Um, you know, uh, are you hot? Are you cold? Is it up? Is it down? Is it left or is it right? And the reason why we look at, at life in the universe that way is because of the theory that we are these cardiosocial animals. But in reality, nature doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Nature works in fractals. She works in diagonals. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we keep all options open. Um, I've, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll certainly say it again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have five fundamental senses for which we look at the universe. Mm -hmm. And those five fundamental senses are very limited. If we can't touch it, hear it, taste it, smell it, etc., uh, we can't interact with it. And yet, you know, look at any 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 given night, look at the night sky and look at the stars, and you will see some beautiful stars, and yet look at that same spot of the night sky 
this time using a radio telescope and now looking in infrared and ultraviolet. And all of a sudden you see things that were never there before. You see nebula and you see things that we can't pick up with a naked eye. Uh, why is that important? Well, because right now you and I are having this conversation and there are Wi-Fi signals that are coursing mm -hmm. through our body. There are radio signals, AM and FM. There are There's cosmic radiation coming down from the cosmos, gamma in a form of gamma radiation. There's neutrinos, trillions upon trillions of neutrinos are entering your body at any given time from the sun. Uh, and yet we, we don't interact with them and yet it's very real. And so... What? My point being is that we, t we tend to say, when we say off-world or, or extraterrestrial or alien, um, I, I, I'm not sure everybody necessarily agrees on what that means because to me, anything alien is something that is not necessarily organic to this planet, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not from this planet. These right. things could be just as natural to our environment as we are, and we're just now at the techn technological you know, level to, to begin in Iraq. Maybe these things are from the ocean. Maybe mm -hmm. these things are interdimensional. And I guess my point being is that there's a whole lot of other options either than these are from, you know, let's say Alpha Proxima or the right. Pleiades versus right here. Okay, I get that. And you're right. And there's a lot more to reality than we can even imagine. But whatever these beings, because there's obviously an intelligence behind the UAPs, they're not random objects or whatever they called it in the uh, um, DNI report, but um, there's some intelligence that may be superhuman, but can we agree about that? There's an unknown intelligence that is operating these UAPs and manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's quite clear. There is some sort of intelligence behind these things. I, I think that that is probably not, at this point, uh, a matter of conjecture. I think that's reality. And are you aware of the uh, Project Blue Book, the Grudge, uh, Project Grudge, uh, the history of investigations and some of the the um, crash retrieval, some of the actual bodies that have been found. And, and if you look at the Guy Huddle memo and the FBI vault, uh, there's evidence of these bodies. Are you aware of that or, or not? Grudge, yes, yeah. I am. Am I aware of the, the notion that there was some sort of uh, retrieval of biological samples? Yes, I am aware of that, of that notion. Okay. Uh, am I aware that there may have been some U.S. government involvement mm -hmm. in that? Yes, I am aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, uh, you're aware of it, but uh, you're aware that it's true or you're just aware people have talked about it? I'm not sure what you mean by aware. I, I am aware that people have talked about it, mm -hmm. and I have heard it as well uh, mm -hmm. regarding anecdotally of biological mm -hmm. recovery. Uh, but I have to be very careful. What I don't want to do is prejudice the jury here. I think it's important that we continue to allow allow people to ask the question. Um, and I think it's also important that we allow our government to provide whatever information uh, it can provide and give it time. Look, here's the bottom line. <laughs> Not all the government, when we talk about, you know, the government is aware of X, Y, or Z. problem is, we we tend to we tend to give the government this this uh, this characteristic that is this you know omnipresent capability and it, it knows everything and and the reality it doesn't. When we say that the government is aware of something, well, that may be true. Part of the government is aware of something, but perhaps part of the government is not, and that's why it's so important because we have to you know we have to give the government time to have a consistent understanding of what's really going on. And I think that's my concern. What we don't want to do is is pigeonhole the government in a situation where now it's forced to say something without having all the data in front of it. Look, the bottom line is that there's, there's a lot of interesting things happening right now. And uh, it's probably more than anecdotal that, that there is information out there that corroborates uh, the idea that, you know, we're, we're not alone. At the same time, you know, this I, I've said this before from day, day one, this is a process and we must allow the process to work. I know people are anxious. I know people are, are curious and I know people want to know the answers and I want them to have the answers, but I also want it to be done in a constructive way, not a destructive way. And if, you know, one were to look at the last three years of our progress, 
I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people that could argue with, with the fact that we've, we've come pretty far because we have taken a very measured approach and allowed the government time that it needs and what is necessary to do its job. And, and that is to ultimately later on inform the American people. The worst thing you can do is just slap something together and, and say, you know, yes or no. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be not 100% accurate. I think people are impatient and rightfully so. And I think what we need to do is, I, you know, I've said this before, I'd rather have information right than right now. So that's kind of where we are. I appreciate everything you're doing. You're the guy in front. You are pushing what's been called disclosure. And it's a very honorable position and difficult position I know you're in because it seems like you want this to become public. But what is your goal? You personally, I mean, you, you got pulled into the ATIP program, I guess, and suddenly this whole other reality came forward. So what's your, what's your vision of how this might progress forward? Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's going to require a few beers and, or, or a bottle of wine. And, uh, well, uh, I mean, give us the bottom line. Uh, the truth. I, I, I want the truth to come out. I want the American people to know the reality of what you paid your taxpayer dollars for me to do. You paid for it. The information belongs to you. The question is, how do we do it without people going to jail or, or upsetting the system uh, and, you know, causing discord and confusion and panic? I, I got to tell you, we, we, I don't think we've ever been this far in the conversation before. So I agree. We have to be very careful and methodical. Look, I, at the end of the day, I'm a patriot. I, I don't want to do anything to to hurt the government. I'm trying to be constructive, not not destructive. I know, but um, the, it's the American people that need to be told the truth. And the world, this goes beyond uh, government and countries, of course. Absolutely, I agree with you. That's why you see us doing what we're doing. Uh, and despite the naysayers, and despite all the you know crap that we, we have to deal with on a regular basis, and the you know, hucksters and charlatans, um, guys like Chris Mellon and I and Hal Pudoff and Eric are, are, are busy doing what we do. You know, this is this has been a, a topic that's been hijacked by fraudsters for the last 70 years. In the absence of information, they've kind of filled in their own narrative. And worse, they've, they've, they've made a pretty good living off of it. You know, that's problematic. Well, and I think we're... Go ahead. No, no, no. It's problem. No, continue because you're you're the guy. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So it's problematic because we need a a real narrative, a true narrative. All, all let's just lay it all on the table. I say. I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you. The problem is that this topic has been for a very long time. You know, portions are very classified, and of course, there's been public statements to the contrary that that this topic isn't a valid topic. And now you're asking, you know, an institution like the United States government, which is a huge monolithic uh, enterprise to begin with, full of many, many different people, different interests, all of them to reverse course and, and say definitively, you know what, we were wrong for the last 70 years. And in fact, not only were we wrong, we deliberately kept some of the details from you. Well, we're asking them to come forward because they owe that to the American people. I'm just going to bring Joe in here, who's been studying this phenomenon for a long time. So, Lou, if we believe that the Mussolini craft retrieval took place, we may have data from 90 years ago all the way until now. Is it valid? And, I, I've, and I've heard, I've heard, and it's also, is it valid speculation that we know who's inside of these, some of these craft? And I know you may not be able to answer that, but if you can't, if this information is classified, like who's in the saucers, who's inside the triangles, why would that be classified? It's not, it's not sources and methods. Exactly right. That's, that's my concern. You know, you, you can only classify information to protect sources and methods. And you cannot, it's illegal to classify information from it just because something is embarrassing. Uh, let's look, let's, let's be realistic. There's a liability issue here, too. There are people who have lost their careers and potentially their futures and, and can you imagine somebody who reported this information and then all of a sudden got submitted for a psychological evaluation or, or lost or suspended their security clearance and, you know, long story short, loses their marriage and is now wind up, you know, ultimately homeless on the street, all for doing the right thing. I mean, that's, that's a real liability. That's a real fundamental issue now that we're going to have to figure out because some people have, 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 have suffered 
you know, greatly. You know, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that I've suffered greatly because people have suffered a lot more than me. But it's 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 a real topic and it's a real issue that we need to we need to to be prepared for. Do we have any idea who's inside into who's inside some of these craft? Uh, you know, I prepare. I prefer not to answer that question right now, simply because um, I don't have a good response for that. Okay. You know, I think we've got a lot of ideas, um, and I think there's a lot of anecdotal information out there. But at the end of the day, we still don't know entirely what we're dealing with, and that's that's problematic. You know, that's that's something that we need to. I think collectively sit down, and I mean that from a, as a society, I mean that as academics and, and, and scientists, I mean that uh, as, a, as a national security apparatus and as politicians and philosophers and everybody else. You know, there is information that, that's, that's pretty compelling, and that's about all I can say about that, that, that says, you know, maybe we're, <laughs> maybe we're not alone. And... You know, the problem is we look at everything through anthropomorphic eyes, right? We, we look at everything in terms of, of human interests, human motivations, uh, you know, human paradigms. And when you are swimming in the great white, you know, in the big ocean of the Pacific and a great white comes up to you, that great white is not thinking like a human being. A great white is thinking like a great white. And sometimes there's no motivation for what it does other than it's just hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we have to... I think we have to be mindful of the fact that not everything in nature is going to comport to to our, uh, if you will, neat anecdote of how of how of how something should behave in this universe. This is a very large, complex universe, and every day we're learning more and more about it. And uh, you know, if there's one thing we've learned is that usually what we subscribe or ascribe uh, to something. Uh, isn't always the case, um, you know. Again, we look in terms of of, of human type uh, emotions and, and human motivations, and I don't know if that's entirely useful here. I mean, if we were dealing with a human, sure, you know, I I, I don't think we necessarily are. When you say people might get arrested, what what are you thinking they would get arrested for if we came forward with some of this? Um, I'm just curious. Well, certainly classified information is involved okay that's you you will absolutely i mean if you have you got to be very very careful and thread that needle you know i've tried to be very <laughs> diligent myself um, i don't look good in, in an orange jumpsuit i spent my career trying to 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 protect my country from from spies and espionage and i'm not i'm not looking to do that that's not my intent i, I want to have a conversation in a way where the American people can get answers, but, you know, not go back 70 years, right? And all of a sudden, now the genie goes back in the bottle and, you know, that's it. I'm not sure that's very helpful. Are you ready to go in front of Congress and tell them what you know if you're called in front of a Senate Intelligence Committee? I have been ready (laughs) for years and years and years. If I am called upon, uh, you damn well better believe that I will be I will be having that conversation. Okay, great. I, I think uh, Kyle or someone who had a question here, I, I don't want to hog because I, I could talk to you for hours because you are the guy, Lewis. You are the central to this uncovering this bigger reality. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate that, but in reality, I'm not. It's, 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 we are here because we have done this as a collective, and, and that's, that's a fact. You know, People like you who are willing to have the conversation uh, in public, around the water cooler, around the <laughs> dinner table, uh, that's that's why we are here. I you know I, I play a, a role in that, but so do you, and so frankly, so does your audience. You know, and, and so do a whole lot of other people. So again, I, I, I appreciate that reality. I can't accept um, you know all, all the all the if you will credit for that. That goes to a lot of you. I'm also glad you have Danny Sheehan on your side. He I, I think is number one guy who knows what's going on here on the legal side. Well, he's, he's a very tenacious uh, attorney, you know, yeah. and, and when you look at what he's been able to do from uh, things such as uh, Pentagon Paper, you know, Silkwood and Oliver North and, and all these other things, these are historical moments in time for our country. Sheehan has been right there on the front lines. And, and he's, I think he's going to do a great job with you and, and maybe push this forward. Uh, okay, Byron, did you have a question for Luis Alexander? Sure. Uh, hi, Lou. It's uh, Byron Delaire. Nice to speak to you again. 
Hey, Byron, good to talk with you. Likewise, likewise. So welcome to Clubhouse, you know. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention uh, a few weeks ago, there was this uh, long marathon room that Eric Weinstein had created uh, concerning the New York Times article in the run-up to the, uh, the DNI report. And, you know, there was maybe a, upwards of a thousand people in this room, Lou, and there were a lot of folks that were like heads of astrophysics departments and a lot of folks from the academy, scientists. And I noticed that the scientific community in some instances is having a rough time metabolizing these kind of changes uh, and this new information that has really started to come out since December 2017 when ATIP was revealed and when you came out. You know, one of the things that the scientists are suggesting mm -hmm. is that the data that's in the public sphere is just so limited and it's just fuzzy blurs. Mm -hmm. And there's never really been an exhaustive analysis of the data. And I just wanted to ask you, uh, when you were part of ATIP, could you speak to the number of analysts and scientists and the kind of kinds of minds that you had access access to in analyzing this information, just to kind of set the record straight? Because yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, let me let me let me say empirically that the videos that you see now are probably some of the least compelling videos that we had access to. Uh, these are the ones that could be uh, released uh, fairly easily because they didn't provide any sources of methods. Look, we've got videos that are that are extraordinarily compelling, and and the fact that Congress is now taking this seriously should be an indicator that that these videos have been provided uh, to some of those members. So, if you're looking at just a couple, you know, fuzzy, grainy videos, uh, and you're trying to make a conclusion off of that, um, I hate to say it, but you're mistaken. That was never the intent of those videos. Those videos were just provided to get the conversation going, so you knew that your government was looking at this topic. It was never intended to be like, aha, there's the silver bullet. No, that's the aha, there's the silver bullet that we're taking it seriously. But there's other videos that are far, far, far more, more that have much more fidelity and far more compelling. Can you describe those videos, Lou? Uh, I got to be careful, um, you know, because I, I don't want to reveal sources and methods. Um, I, I have not, the government has not released those videos yet for whatever reason that they have. And so therefore I, I have to honor that. Um, but there are far more compelling videos. And yes, we had an entire interagency, if you will, group of people that were dedicated into trying to, to figure this, this out. Um, this was a, a very significant issue. Um, and those people are still looking at this topic. So again, you know, I, I want to be careful that and, and warn people. Look, if you're just looking at a couple of videos online, you're you're probably missing the point. Um, there's much more to this, mm. and and I think that's what you know ultimately what what we're trying to do here. And the mm. government has become increasingly forthcoming. So the good news is that it's working. Um, you know, I, I, again, I have to be careful, but we yeah. have members from the entire intelligence community that we're looking at these videos and, and providing the necessary expertise. And they've all said the same thing, that these things are real and we don't know what they are. They're not artifacts of the camera. They're not a, some sort of weird anomaly, weather anomaly. These are real things. And these are real things that are in our, our atmosphere that we can record and we can measure. And that's, that's where we are right now. It's a conversation. Like I said before, look, we're not at the, at the, at the, beginning of the end of this conversation we're probably at the beginning of the beginning and i know that's frustrating for a lot of people uh but you know again the, the part of the problem is that in the community the ufo community they've kind of set themselves up for failure because they have for whatever reason come up with these narratives pre you know preconceived narratives of what this is about and the fact that it's not falling neatly within some of those narratives you know, is, is creating a lot of heartburn for some folks. What my, my recommendation would be is to just, you know, sit back, relax, settle down for a little bit and, and, you know, let, let the conversation happen. This is not instant gratification and, and about satisfying people's idle curiosity. This is a conversation that includes national security. This conversation that includes perhaps one of the greatest enigmas that, that our, our species has 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 faced since since we we crawled out of the cave. Right.
you you told Danny Sheehan, I mean, he reported this, that you, you he asked you, is this really a threat? And you said something like the higher ups don't consider this a threat. So are we going to downplay this threat idea and go for more curiosity and exploration? The bottom line, if anything can interfere with our nuclear capabilities, for some people, that's a potential threat. Whether you agree with it or not, or I agree with it, is really rather immaterial. Because from a national security perspective, that is very much a potential threat. Now, let me let me state this for the record. There's a difference between a potential threat and and hostile intentions. Okay, so when I go to the airport and I board an airplane, there's no real threat there. Uh, when I go to the airport and if I were to run on the tarmac uh, to that same jet plane that I was boarding earlier, and I stand behind the jet engine. Chances are there are some some consequences that that I have to deal with, right? I, I may lose my hearing. Right. Uh, I may get burned by the jet engine, right? There's a lot of things that aren't necessarily intended to be a direct threat, but are indeed a, a threat. So this is why we need to look at this topic, and without trying to interject any type of, of preconceived narrative, I don't think that's helpful. I think what we need to do is let the facts and the data speak for itself. And, and if we can do that, then we're going to get a little bit one step closer maybe to determining if this really is a threat or not. Joe, did you have uh, something to add on to that? I, I do. Um, I'm actually one open to threat or non-threat. I have no idea. Um, on that angle, in the ATIP slide, infamous slide, slide nine, it says... There's science that exists for an enemy that can manipulate both physical and cognitive environments and influence decision makers. So what are they talking about there, influence decision makers? And is if they can manipulate cognitive environments and affect our perception, shouldn't I be a little concerned about that? Well, sure, but I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Look, you know, there's all sorts of ways to influence decision makers. Um, the mere fact that we have tier one adversaries that have nuclear capabilities, don't think for one second that they're not influencing our decisions. They are, just like we are influencing uh, decisions by, by by other countries because of our capabilities. And, and that's important, right? So influence isn't necessarily a spoken word. Influence can be can be obtained and, and levied uh, multiple ways. And I think it's important that, that when you look at a slide like that, you look into the context of what we're saying. Look, if you have this beyond next generation technology and you have the ability to literally do barrel rolls over our, our the best, most capable capabilities we have uh, in our inventory, um, you know, that's, that's influence. <laughs> that's real influence uh, to our decision makers. So uh, without going into the slide too much and, and, and talking about that specifically, uh, I think it's important to, to 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 recognize that influence can can be can be yielded many ways. It doesn't have to necessarily be a spoken word. It doesn't have to be uh, through uh, you know some sort of uh, uh, you know conscious interface. There's all sorts of of ways that can happen. I'll ask one more question. Bring some more people on. Are you as excited as a lot of us that this could be a breakthrough? in technology, biology, cosmology, we are, like I think you've said it, we're at the threshold of a, of a whole new awakening. Is that, ex I know you have to be careful, but does that really excite you about these possibilities? Well, um, you know, yes, both, you know, hopeful and, you know, cautiously optimistic, but also realistic, right? There's been times in, in our society where we, we thought things were going to turn out a certain way and they didn't. Um, I, you know, I, I think if there is if there is technology being used by some sort of intelligence that is 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 exponentially ahead of us, the opportunity for us to learn is monumental, right? So the last time we faced anything even even in comparison to something like this was probably during the space race against the uh, then Soviet threat against the Russians, and it was a race to the moon. And as a result of that ten year period. Over 6,200 life-changing industries were made. So, so products such as the LED light and the CAT scan that, that we use every day to save people's lives, these are technologies that, that had its, its, its infancy in the NASA space program. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine if there's technology out there that allows us 
now where space-time is no longer uh, a significant factor, um, you know, that's, that's pretty huge. That's pretty monumental. Can you, can you imagine what, what lies ahead of us? Um, you know, the sky's the limit. But of course, with that comes the double-edged sword, right? Because, you know, with with nuclear power, we have nuclear weapons, right? Right. With 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 uh, any technology that we have today, it, it can always be used for 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 bad things. Right. You know, the same fire that we used to use to <laughs> to, to light our campfires uh, was used to you know burn people's villages. Uh, yeah, technology Vietnam. is always a two-edged sword, but the potential is way beyond anything we uh, discovered with NASA. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah. I mean, we're, I mean obviously, that's just an example. That's just yeah. a poor example to kind of, you know, paint the picture for you. No, I, I'm not sure we could even ever possibly really appreciate now what what the potential is because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that far ahead of what, what we have today. You know, how do you, how do you predict and how do you know what, what something's going to be able to do for us until you, you get a chance to, for us, mm-hmm. uh, until you, you get a chance to, you know, to, to see it and, ex- and exploit well, it. I, and, and I, I'm excited it. about it. That's why I wrote about in this book, Making Contact. This is a, a whole renaissance of possibilities that I think we could come into once this stuff is all out on the table and we could look at it and integrate it as a civilization. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Thank if you. We, if we can avoid the temptation of using it for for our own selfish purposes, which I'm not convinced we can. I, I don't have as much faith in humanity because, mm-hmm. you know, inevitably we always do dumb things uh, mm-hmm. when we're given an opportunity. Well, um, maybe we're, just, we're growing up. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope so too. Kyle, did you have something you want to ask Luis Elizondo? Yes, first of all, thank you, Ellen, for bringing me up. I appreciate it. And uh, Lou, it's an honor to be here with you. I really... Uh, I'm oh, my pleasure. No worries. Um, uh, I'll skip a long preamble and just go to a one-sentence preamble if I could ask three questions. Yeah, um, sure. So you you were in the ATIP program from its start in 2007, and you were director of the program from 2010 to 2012. It, that's my understanding. That's correct? No, I was director until 2017. From, from 2010 to 2017. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Um, so, uh, my question is, what can you tell us about the ATIP report that we don't know already? Um, that was a 600-page report, unless I'm mistaken. So, that's my uh, first question. Yeah, it's about four, them all four, 400. The, the executive summary was about 400 pages. Okay. What can you tell us about that? That's my first. My second, what possibility is there that this report can be released, either in the near or longer term future? And thirdly, what's your reaction to the nine-page preliminary report? Those, I think, are the three most important. Number one, could you tell us about the ATIP report? What can you tell us about that 400-page report? Well, it was very compelling, but it wasn't just about UFOs. Uh, it had a lot of other stuff from the OSAP program. And so, therefore, there was a lot of other, other uh, if you will, ingredients involved in that 400-page executive summary to Congress. Um, so some of it involved UAP, some of it did not involve UAP. So when people say the, the ATIP report, it really wasn't the ATIP report. Uh, it, it included a lot of the elements from OSAP. Um, not good or bad, just it is what it is. Um, they, they saw fit to, to include some of that data in there. Um, as far as uh, will that report ever be released, I think it's inevitable. I, I think it absolutely will come out. Um, you know, either I hate to say my hook or my crook, but I think at some point it will come out because simply just too many people have had access to it. So, um, it, you know, I, I don't think <laughs> – I, I think it's probably one keystroke away from being released. Um now, am I going to release it? Yeah, but probably not unless I'm allowed to. Uh, now, what? Back to your last question. What do I think about this this UAP uh, unclassified report, the nine-page report that came out? Um, I think it's historic. I think it is. Uh, if you read between the lines and you know what you're looking at, you will recognize this is really uh, something monumental. First of all, let me let me start by doing a quick diagnosis, if you will, and triage of the document. This is an unclassified report of a much more comprehensive classified document. The very first couple words in the very first paragraph, our very first sentence, says this is a preliminary report. 
meaning there's other reports that are going to come out. So congratulations. Um, don't look now, but you just you just won that hurdle. The government is taking this seriously. Two, uh, there were 144 incidents and only one they were able to 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 identify. So that's 143 incidents. And when you look at the report, and of course, devils in the details, you realize 99% of the reporting, all but one incident other than the Nimitz, were a result of incidents that occurred from November 2019 uh, to today. So in a year and a half, you had 143 incidents involving primarily the U.S. Navy. Not the Army, not the Coast Guard, not the Air Force, not the Marine Corps, just the Navy. And that was in a year and a half. And oh, by the way, they also say in the report that that the majority of the reports go uh, unreported because people are afraid of the stigma and taboo and, and retribution. So if you think to yourself that only 10% of the reports actually got reported, that's over 1,400 incidents that occurred in the last year and a half alone, only involving the Navy. Now, if that's not a big deal to somebody, I don't know what else is. I don't know else how to tell you that this is a this is a BF problem. Um, it, it is a it is a very big problem for us, a very big challenge. Uh, so that's that's important. And second of all, if you look within hours of that report being released, what else was released? Well, there was a memo by the Deputy Secretary of Defense saying that we're going to establish a long-term capability and we're going to have a strategic plan moving forward on how to address these issues. Um, you know, for being an, a short, pithy, nine-page report, I think there was a lot of data put into that report if you know how to read between the lines. Hmm. Okay. Thank you, Lou. Great, great. Yes, okay. Sir. Okay, I want to bring up Eric Weinstein. Welcome to the party, Eric. I saw your comment about coming late to the UFO party. You have a question for Louise? Hi, Eric. Well, How are you? Uh, <laughs> hey, Louis. Uh, good to be with you. Just uh, here with a friend of yours, uh, Dan Sheehan. Yeah, I'm just going to say he uh, he talks very highly of you. And uh, and uh, conversely, of you behind your back, sir. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. I wanted to what I wanted to say was just to lend support to you uh, in that a close reading of that report goes in exactly the opposite direction of a casual and cursory reading of that report. And I think that it's much more important that people just know that this is what close reading was designed for, to read between the lines for what was written between the lines rather than to take things at face value. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Edgar Allan Poe dealt with this in a story that isn't much read anymore called The Purloined Letter, in which you take the most valuable stuff, you crumple it up as a piece of paper that doesn't matter to anyone, you throw it in a corner in the middle of the living room, and nobody bothers to look at it while they're pulling uh, apart the floorboards mm -hmm. looking right. for the secret. Right. And I'm pretty sure that in signature management uh, is one phrase, uh, other is another, that... Uh, the it, other being... Yeah, yeah. If you look at it very carefully and you and you take the time to read the six pages that matter, uh, it's very clear what at least one of the authors of that report is because it looks like a report that is the result of a conflict between multiple authors to me. It is. It is. It is. And in fact, I, I won't go into a lot of detail here, but one of the authors was one of my former deputies in ATIP. So I, I'm very familiar with, with how this report went down, uh, a lot of the internal friction. Look, this is a report that was written by some folks who had an impossible job, an impossible mission. They were underfunded, under-resourced, and yet they, they did their best shot at it. And then all of a sudden, now it goes through the Department of Defense for a review, then it goes through the Director of National Intelligence for a review, and everybody lottie dottie and comes to find out that there were a lot of offices that were never even contacted to write this report in the first place. So, so this is a this is a this is a report that has been um, absolutely um, from from the get go full of of challenge and and fraught with stigma and it it wasn't easy to put out. And then on top of that, at the unclassified level, uh, truth be told, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I, I don't know if I could have done that, uh, to be honest with you, if I had the same task. Let me just say this. The way it reads on a close reading is we are going to hide behind the fact that we didn't have uniform reporting standards to pretend that everything before 2019 
doesn't meet the definition of scientific because of the lack <laughs> of uh, correct the lack of, of regularity. Ergo, can you guys please forget about everything before 2019? Don't ask correct. About data. Right. And so I, I think, and Mr. Weinstein, let me let me be very clear here. We have stacks, and I mean stacks of historical U.S. government reports. No, I once. No offense, sir, but I don't actually want you saying it. I can tell you that I have shut down every UFO conversation I've ever encountered until last year because I can't stand the topic. I thought this was hokum and BS. And what I'm telling you is, is that you don't need to say it. No question, but that that report was absolutely okay. one of the most okay. riveting things, but only when read closely. Uh, Eric, I think he does need to say it because I think uh, Louise knows probably more as much as anyone. I'm sorry, Alan. Yeah. Just, just to wrap up, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I wanted to bring people into the room, and I also wanted to say that I don't think Lou should be defending it. I think that we should recognize that we just aren't reading these things closely uh, like I, we used to anymore. I agree, and it's only a preliminary report. And do you think the 80-page that went to the Senate Intelligence Committee should be released, Lou? Well, of course I do. I think I think some sunlight is, is the best uh, antiseptic, especially regarding this topic. Look, you... you're your money paid for for data through your taxpayer dollars that that is owed to you. You mm -hmm. pay for it, mm -hmm. and I think it should. I do. I think it should be released to to the American public. It's your information. Um, exactly. The problem is that decision's not up to me. No, but yeah, I mean, but you you are compelled to come forward, and we all appreciate that. Thank you, Eric, for being part of this, and I will interview sometime what changed your mind. Real quick, Eric, yeah. I look forward to talking with you in the, in the future. So, again, yeah, thank, you. So let, let, sir, thank you for your time. Off. Roderick, you have a question? Yeah, yeah, appreciate it, and thank mm -hmm. you guys for bringing me up, and Lou, uh, just uh, it's a great pleasure just being here with you as well. Um, yes, sir, mine too. Being, in a, being a UFO investigator myself and looking at some of the report, one of the main things that stood out to me was, you know, well, first, let's go back to Morgan Stanley. I, and I, I and I always say follow the money, right? And, you know, Morgan Stanley has been telegraphing the new space economy. It's going to be worth trillions of dollars. And, of course, the very last line of the report, we need more money. Where does this come into, uh, or they kind of shine away from the, the the black budget operations now and going to more the private sector? And, and is, is the money got something to do with it? Well, look, we've learned a long time ago that, that space and any other type of endeavor uh, is, is usually um, that type of competition usually brings innovation. And there are things that the government does very well. But even in the space race to the moon, we had to bring in uh, the private sector uh, to, to help us help. Just because they, through, through the laws of business, they understand how to do things more efficiently and faster than we do. They have less bureaucracy, less liability. So uh, I, I, I'm not surprised at all that the, if you will, uh, private industry is being, being brought into this, into the fold. Um, the question that you ask, is it incentive? for this topic of UAP. Um, I don't. If, if you talk to some of the, the major players in the private industry, uh, they, they think this topic is hokey. They, they don't even, uh, you know, believe that the government even looked at this topic for a long time. I'm not going to mention names here, but, you know, that's, that's a fact. Some of these folks don't, um, don't support this, this, uh, this endeavor. So I, I don't think we're there yet. Now, at some point in the future, could it happen? Yeah, absolutely it could. Uh, once they get convinced that this is real and there's potentially some sort of uh, 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 capital advantage, then then that's you know that's kind of the law of capitalism, anyways. That's that's going to happen. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's a motivation right now for us to begin looking into this. Mm. You know, the the, the initial okay. budget is paltry. Uh, some would consider it budget dust mm. uh, by by current standards of other platforms and capabilities that we invest in. Uh, look, $22 million is a lot for maybe folks like you and me, but it's not a whole lot of money for the U.S. government. Um, again, that's that's we consider that budget dust. And so if we really want to get to answers here, we're going to have to spend a lot more money, just yeah. like the space race. And I don't think it necessarily needs to be militarized. Um, I think, you know, if we bring in folks like the National Science Foundation and, and some of these other centers of excellence on the civilian side, 
you know, we probably stand a pretty good chance in trying to 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 figure this out without necessarily weaponizing, so to speak, mm. uh, this this endeavor. Appreciate you answering that, and I just have one other quick little statement or question. Sure. Now, would this also be more beneficial because they can avoid the FOIA, you know, and now the Freedom of Information Act if it's in the private sector, and that's well, that's that true. Person. I mean, it, it shouldn't be used to do that, but yes, it's, I mean, it, it has been done before that FOIA. Uh, you know, if you keep it in the private sector, uh, you you may not necessarily get the information you're looking for. Mm. Um, in my opinion, that's probably not the right way to do business because ultimately it's going to catch up with you. And people are going to find out anyways. But uh, you know, yeah, that's that's a problem we need to we need to figure out. And mm. frankly, as far as I'm concerned, if you spend a, a penny of government dollars to do something, then you know, my my perspective is that it should be, it should not be FOIA exempt. But that's that's certainly not up to me. Yeah. And gentlemen, listen, forgive me for for doing this, but um, unfortunately, my my timeline oh. is is limited today. But what I would like to do is uh, sometime next week, perhaps come back for for a full hour and uh, any time questions and, and, and have this conversation. Louis, it's, it was an honor to have you here. We we are on Clubhouse sometimes six hours a day talking about this subject, so we could go on and on. <laughs> well, that sounds great. I mean, like I said, I'd love, yeah. to, love to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, there's well, a lot going on right now, and uh, you know, this is a topic that involves each and every one of us. Uh, I, I tell people that it involves us equally uh, and yet differently because of, you know, we're, we're human beings. Yeah, I appreciate you. what you're doing to push this forward uh into the public awareness and it's never we've never gotten to this place before so and, and i think you are a big part of it so i well again yeah. the, the, the truth yeah. be told a lot yeah. of that is is a testament to to the work you all are doing yes. um you know obviously i'm just one voice mm. uh you know maybe a little bit loud and obnoxious at times but no it's no because of, of people like you mm. and your audience that are interested in this topic and are continuing to pursue it Mm. I think is why we are where we are today. Well, we haven't let up for 74 years since 1947. This has been um, underground, and now it's finally reaching the light of day. So anytime you want to come back on this clubhouse, you are welcome. And, um, yeah, let's, let's shoot for the next week or two. Okay. I'd, I'd love to do that with you guys. All right, great, great, great. And uh, Drew will put us in touch. Thank you, Drew, for setting yeah, sure. this this up sure. and um, we, there we have a couple of hundred in this room now, I think. So it it, it catches on quickly. We got your back, right? No worries. You, no sir. worries. Well, you know what, guys, we're doing this all together, guys and gals. This is a a group effort. You know, this has been a bit of a grassroots movement. You said at the beginning, this is a movement. I I agree with you. I think we're finally taking uh, control of the topic and, and and putting the power back where it belongs, which is to to the to the populace. Let the people decide what this topic means to them and what we need to do about it yeah. as a nation. I agree wholeheartedly. And we haven't even mentioned the experience of components, so that's a whole other field that maybe we'll get to at some point. Sure. Okay. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Drew. Yes. yes. And, uh, and Alan, if you can keep this room open for yeah. a little while after I, Lou leaves, we can continue the conversation yeah, I, like I, we I, always I, do so. Absolutely. Great. great, great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right, okay. gentlemen, thank you so much, and uh, special thanks uh, to, to everyone out there and, and your audience, and of course, Dan Sheehan and, and everybody else. Really, right. really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for being here. Yes, sir, my pleasure. Okay. And thank you. that is really, he says it's up to everyone, but that is the guy who is center stage, I feel, in this disclosure um, momentum we are in. Anybody want to jump in here with a comment about what we heard? Uh, Jim, what did you hear? Jim, Jim, yeah. Hi, Alan. How are you doing today? Well, it was pretty exciting to talk to Louise, even though he's kind of vague uh, at points. But what did you get from that conversation? You know, without disclosing what you and I have been talking about mm -hmm. in right. this room with, where there are probably 3,000 people, Yeah. Uh, he talked about how... Uh, it's a grassroots approach, mm -hmm. putting the power into the hands of the people. Yeah, exactly. And that there's a level of consciousness that's developing throughout the world. This, this is what Jim and I, a lot of other people are talking about, that we, it's great to have government come forward, but it's really a people's movement, and it's up to each one of us to go 
forward and, and tell as many people as we can this is a reality and this is not science fiction and we have to wake up to the fact that we're part of a bigger cosmos. Joe, did you get any new uh, gems from this conversation, UFO Joe? Um, no, I don't know if there's really anything new. There was a couple of points where he mentioned, you know, he's aware of the bodies, but that's just an, you know, he didn't say he's, he wasn't confirming that. Um, but, you know, when Lou talks about people being disappointed because we're at the beginning of the beginning, I'm not one of those people. I mean, yeah, obviously I want this to progress faster than it has, but Alan, we've been at this for so long. I mean, I started in 96, so then for me to see the progress now, it's just like yeah. I actually appreciate a little lull for the past week because mm -hmm. there was so much information leading up to the report. Nobody mm -hmm. could keep up with it. Right, right. This is not the beginning of the beginning. This is sort of like um, midway through the beginning because there's so much to like unfold and unpack in this phenomenon. Just listen to Linda Moulton Howe's Earth Files and she will just go into the depth of what the, sec the secrets of this government has with alien races that are already here. I didn't want to ask Lou that question because it doesn't sound like he's even ready to talk about what he's seen in those videos. But how about Priscilla? You were here from the beginning of the conversation. Did you learn anything today? Yes, um, I had like a really cool question about um, interdimensional travel because in a couple of his interviews, he's talked about the possibility of them being interdimensionally, uh, interdimensional beings mm -hmm. or interdimensional consciousness. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. I know. Oh, so you would have uh, asked what what evidence does he have that this might um, be interdimensional? Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's actually. Yeah, I true. would have asked. Yeah, that. that the inter intergalactic stuff is, is, is all true, and he does. What do you mean it's all true? I don't know what that means. Well, true. In an interview. Yeah, um, it's all. Yeah, it's all true. It's there, there's documents behind it. Also, there's two interviews that stood out to me done by Lou within the past couple of months. I want to say maybe the past three or four months, and one was done with by Max Moscovich, um, mm. and he actually gets into a lot of the physics. He drew these amazing diagrams about why some people see spheres and then they morph into other things. And he threw out a theory about how the gravitational propulsion systems within the craft mm -hmm. can actually make it appear that two craft are one. And that's why there's some of these blobby type shapes. And then in engaging the phenomena's interview, he did, um, he was asked about what cognitive human interface was. And that's on one of the slides. I can't remember if it's seven or nine or right. both of the ATIP slides. Mm -hmm. But he said the same thing. He said, well, this, that doesn't that sound like your CE5? He's like, I normally don't talk about CE5, but nobody's asked me about CE5. Mm. So this is a human interfacing cognitively with a intelligent being. So I wanted to ask him, you know, since there is the theory that interdimensional travel is on the table. Yeah. And we, we kind of know. I just wanted him to kind of say, you know, what physics do we have? And I have my own theories about that. What kind of physics do we have that would explain that for people to understand? Right. Um, for more people to understand and get on board. Because that's the problem with the public. They don't understand, so then they're afraid. And, that you know, if he can break it down in a way, and he's really good at this, but break it down in a way that everybody can understand it, yeah. then I think more people will support the cause. Okay, you're going to ask that question next time we're back. So, Drew, set that up for next week so Priscilla can ask that question. And I would love to hear what you have to say about the physics of interdimensionality and the proof that such a, a phenomena actually exists. I think that's really key to this phenomena. Oh, what other questions uh, did we, who else has been here? Kyle, yeah, what, do you, what, do you, what would you have asked that we missed this time? Kyle. <laughs> you mean what 200 questions would I have asked? Well, the top the top 2 maybe, okay? Well, I would have I would have been really interested to hear him talk a bit about how he got into the ATIP program. Uh, his early uh, days in the ATIP program. I don't believe he's addressed that. At least I haven't seen it. I, I know he's done a lot wasn't of Wasn't he picked as just an intelligence officer because he See, I mean, you know, was there more to it? He did, he did speak about it. One of the interviews he did, um, a couple of interviews, one was with John Greenwald. He talked about the first day and how they came to visit him. And they invited him to the office, and he met the man that we now know to be James Letkaski, who, who headed up uh, OSAP. Who's, he's the man who had the experience at Skinwalker Ranch, which started everything. That's a really good interview if you want to go back to the very beginning and how he met them and what he started doing. And So, yeah, 
Yeah, he has spoken about it. The other thing about interdimensional, Alan, you were there when Daniel Sheehan, and he, he said it so many times. On June 4th, Lou did a Zoom interview with the Associated Press, and they asked Lou, he said, listen, Lou goes, the chances that this is Russia or China is infinitesimal. He goes, and the guy, Dan Huff, the reporter at AP said, well, what do you think it is? And he goes, we're open to extraterrestrial and interdimensional. Mm-hmm. Go read the Associated Press report that they did on that. Not one mention of any of that. So that's mm. that's really a big deal. Because those, AP goes everywhere, and they left out the most important thing that Lou said during that interview. Wow, that is key. This interdimensional component is really at the source of this phenomenon. That's why... It went from object to phenomena because it, it, it affects time, space, cognition, all these ramifications of what this is about. And he keeps hedging in a very kind of frustrating way what's really going on. But well, he did bring Alan. Alan, I had a question for you and Joe. Okay. Just, you know, the, the experience that you guys have had in the field. You know, one of the things I was struck by is the language in the DNI report how in so many ways it's like identical to the 1947 Shulgin memo mm. or the Twining memo, just in terms of what the government is willing to say is there, the performance of the craft, you know, right. basically almost framing the five observables, you know. Um, do you have any remarks on why you think even in the midst of this kind of swelling interest and the momentum of this topic, how the government just really almost kind of hits a brick wall and they can't go past that wall with what they want to put in print. Well, like he said, there's many levels of government. So you get Marco Rubio, he says, what? There's stuff out there? And then you get people who are deep into this saying, no, we can't tell this. And that's why they may have uh, said uh, Louise never even worked at ATIP or was, you know. So there's many levels, I think, Mm, I think there's such a split inside that they're scrambling for a unified narrative. That's my, my feeling. Does anyone else have feeling? Joe, do you have a feeling well, about that? Yeah, well, you have the, the group. He's mentioned the people in there who are very, very powerful from people I've spoken to, and they, they'll do anything they can to just kill OSAP and ATIP. That's what they were trying to do because a lot of them are evangelical Christian and they think this is demonic. And that's, that went on back in the remote viewing program. Some of the same people tried successfully to kill that program. But then you also have Luis Elizondo in his interview with Richard Dolan said that a close colleague of his encountered this men in black type quasi-governmental group that would swoop in and grab UFO data and they would intimidate people. So if that's true, and that came from Lou, and he said, he goes, I never encountered them, but my close colleague did. So if that's true, do they intimidate people in the government to shut up? I mean, I know that's conspiratorial and he said the same thing. But when he says it, I, I take, you know, I take note and I listen. So, yeah, I don't know why we're stuck, but we definitely are stuck right now. We're making progress a little bit, but well, I, I don't know how much. I you know. don't think we're stuck. It's just like it's such a big boulder to push. I think they're sort of panicking and they haven't have a narrative yet. What are we going to tell? It's not a threat like Danny Sheehan told us, Joe, or, or somewhere he said, Danny asked Louise, are, are people concerned about this? And Louise said the higher-ups aren't concerned. Where did he say that? Because that he was... Did, so- he said that, um, he said that a, a few times, mm. and you asked Lou about that, but Lou didn't answer. No. Um, he, so I don't know. It's like, and I'm, I'm somebody who's open. I was telling the other day, you know, Whitley Strieber, one of the most famous experiencers out there, right. was doing an interview recently. And he's like, I don't know what we're dealing with. Right. It could be a threat. He goes, obviously, they haven't blown us up, but it could be a threat on the mental, you know? If they're if they're influencing our thoughts, that could be a threat right there. So, right. but Lucy, you know, if Lou knows a lot and he doesn't think it's a threat, that's a, you know, I definitely, yeah. I take that into consideration when I'm forming an opinion, and it's only an opinion, but... Right. Um, well, yeah, I, I thought there was value in how he characterized and contrasted threat versus hostile intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like we're trying. I don't think they know what's really. Lou Louise might know more than a lot of people, but he doesn't have the deep stuff that seems like uh, um, Linda Moulton Howe has dug up. Like, uh, if you look at the day after Roswell, uh, Colonel Corso said we reverse engineered lots of material. So. There's levels here. Let me, let, let me put it to you this way. Lou knows, it. Lou knows pretty much everything. Everything 
everything beyond what what we know times probably a thousand thousand times so it's one of those things where the 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 problem is is that he has to be very careful about what he, about, about how he speaks because of his security clearance. That's the only reason. Yep. That's the only reason why he he takes his time to answer questions is because mm. is because of the security clearance. If he didn't have right. the security clearance, oh shit! I mean, well, fuck. He, he, he you know he he tell everybody everything. 